Welcome to Disciple Life, the Bible in Everyday Life, a podcast that aims to provide listeners with insights on how to live life as a disciple of Christ. This show tackles various topics such as how to grow in faith, deepen relationships with God and others, and serve others in a Christ-like manner. Welcome to another installment of Disciple Life, the Bible in Everyday Life. I am Carlos Garduño. Sitting next to me is our senior pastor, Dan Newberg. And on the far left, and perhaps on your far right, depending on how you're looking at this across the waves, or if you're listening, it won't matter. Uh, then we also have Sydney Weil, who is, uh, as we mentioned in the former, uh, the past episode, she's the Wonder Woman to the Thor and the Funky Mexican. Iron uh, Man. Oh, Iron Man. Never mind. He is Iron Man. Actually, Iron, Iron, Iron Dan. Dan. Yeah, Iron Dan. he's Iron Dan. Yeah. Anyway, so by the way, uh, happy resurrection post, po- happy post resurrection podcast. Uh, this past Sunday, we had the blessing of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and today we're going to do something a little different. Pastor Dan is going to take the lead on this. I won't ask questions, but he will guide our discussion. Okay, so. Um... I guess I'll quarterback it. And so what I'll do is say, Carlos, what questions do you have? I have no <laughs> questions right now, but I have a feeling as we continue the conversation about the importance of resurrection, then we can keep going. Okay. Well, um, so these are, these are as you're listening, you might know that these are really well uh, rehearsed things that we do. Um, sarcasm. <laughs> but the, um, you know, we're, we're, Recording this the day after um, we have celebrated uh, the resurrection of Jesus once more, which for me is every Sunday, but at least in the Christian calendar, that would have occurred on April the 9th of 2023. Um, and resurrection is uh, is more than an important topic to Christians. Um, there are many things that we debate within Christianity um, some we do so with greater fervor um, than maybe is needful and necessary. Um, but resurrection is our hill to die on, so to say. Um, it, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that, that makes or breaks the claims of who Jesus is as the Son of God. Um, and so what we want to do today is um, approach the subject of, of Christ's resurrection and probably acknowledge at the onset here or at the outset that we're not going to get everywhere that we want to go in, in discussing this topic. Right. Um, and what uh, what I think might be best to start, depending on what Sydney's bringing, because she's got like eight pages of notes. The scroll of Isaiah right there. Um, it's just one page. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm kind of, she hasn't shown what's on the paper. I just see her handwriting, so I'm really curious uh, what she's written. Um, but just notes from your sermon. So now I'm really curious what she heard. Um, but what I think might be a good place to start is just the questions uh, that come around the um, the uncertainty that I think many people have about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, they the the doubt that that comes therein, which is maybe the emphasis, not the emphasis, but the approach that I took um, in in presenting the text from Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 through 15 yesterday um, was an awareness that there are many who doubt this claim. Um, and yet for the Christian, this is this is the hill that we literally die on. Um, we, we proclaim that Christ is risen. Um, and I want to kind of start there um, 
and I don't know that I want to hear me talk for the next however length of time we do this. Um, so maybe maybe what I can do is just ask openly, and then y'all can do the spiritual form of uh, rock, paper, scissors about who, um, or maybe you just don't talk because you're, you're going to hack. Um, <laughs> but uh, just ask the question and y'all jump in. Um, when you have conversations about Christianity, uh, if they come to the subject of resurrection, what are people that you interact with, what are they struggling with when it comes to that subject? Okay, I guess we'll do rock, paper, scissors. Rock, um, paper, scissors, shoot. Did you went early, but I'm going to count it, so that <laughs> means you go. Okay, got it. I closed my eyes too, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't be accused of cheating. I was going for scissors. Um, so I know um, one of the early experiences as I was going to seminary was going to UTSA, and they had the, one of the atheist clubs had the Smut for Smut campaign, and this is explain that. Yeah. So because it's an atheist group and full of atheists and agnostics, what they would do is they would take a copy of God's Word which okay. they consider smut, which I know was highly irreverent on their end. And then they would give you a copy of an adult magazine, Smut for Smut, because they hold that God's so Word you, is not you, God's you, Word. you can turn in a, a Bible for a copy of some pornographic material. Yes. Oh, Smut awesome. for Smut. And one of the we, things... We almost ought to have a reverse thing here. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. And, then we, and, and then we could have a, a bonfire. Anyway... Um, <laughs> The idea is that in this engagement, I, I actually remember meeting with the, the, the president at the time of that organization and simply asking, why is it that you do this with the Bible? And one of the things is, well, they hold that the Bible is just any other type of writing. It's really not inspired. And at the core of the conversation was an, a, an innate attack against the person of Jesus. And the foolishness, quote-unquote, of how is it that a man can claim to be better than the rest of us and then his followers claim that he came back from the dead and that's an engagement that happened back in 2010 and all these years later is still a conversation that I think through because one of the things that I keep hearing whether it's people that are in the faith some 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 in the faith definitely outside of the faith uh, people don't really have a conviction of the veracity of resurrection. Hmm. They can do a lip service to it, and there's lack of conviction in their lives regarding that lip service. Meaning, um, we can joke all day all, all day long. Last last week, you said, "Well, I did all the the double stunt, the double, the, you know, the stunt body work for uh, Liam Hem Hemsworth or Chris Hemsworth." Mm -hmm. Well. We can joke about that, but we we know that that's not true. And it says I, you. I, I, well, you and, you and so here you go. Uh, and so the idea at present is that we we can say, well, I believe this all day long, but if there's no true substance to it, then there's no show evidence in our lives, and then that leads into a it leads people astray in a misguided way. Because you can claim to be a Christian, but if you don't live by that conviction, then some things are not going to be in lockstep, if you will, with a risen Christ or what, with what Jesus thought, knowing what he was going to face uh, during his passion, his crucifixion. So 
those are those are things that I've encountered. Susan? I think a lot of my generation struggles with it's you grow up and you learn about science and science science kind of explains pretty much everything. It's kind of this idea of if it doesn't now it kind of will one day type of thing. And so it's like, well, we don't have like what's the evidence? Like mm. I know that's where my generation struggles and kind of for me it's like for the person that's not a Christian, they are very, very scared to lose their life. They don't want to die because they don't know what's going to happen. And my my kind of how I speak into this is you have, what, 11 disciples um, after Jesus has gone back up and 10 of them die by being martyred for this message. I was like, why would they lose their lives if they really took the body as some would claim? Why, I, in the fear of their lives, if they really stole it, I would, if I was them, which I don't want to say that, but be like, here, here's the body, <laughs> like a scared, right? And so anyways, I think that kind of speaks into how real it really was back then. Well, um, I want to maybe talk or explore some of these just a little bit. Sure. Um, so, Sydney, you were talking about the, both of you were talking about the, the witnesses. Um, and Sydney, you're talking particularly about the witnesses who would they themselves die for what they claimed. Um, I think that there's, there's substance to that. But to be fair to someone who may be listening who's not a Christian right now, um, we would we'd also be right to observe that I think it's Brigham Young really believed that Joseph Smith led 15,000 um, Mormons out of Missouri into Utah, all or many of them to their death. So people dying for what they believe, even if it's a lie, isn't an exclusively Christian thing. Mm. Um, but I so I, I want to be fair in, in saying that up front. Um, but I'm also thinking about the what what you have shared with the the challenge that science has proposed that there has to be 100% certifiable evidence in order for something to be believable. Mm. Um, and I I want to call us all to an awareness in this room, those who are listening, that we don't actually live life that way. Um, we don't live life that way at all. Uh, in other words, the, we live so much of life <laughs> as an expression of faith. Um, so example, um, I just got back from lunch, okay? Um, ordered a chicken fajita plate. It was good, too. It was good. Um, and I will tell you that I did not actually, upon receiving that plate, I did not do, I didn't pull out my chemistry set to evaluate whether the white meat on my plate was actually chicken or whatever other biological way that I would validate that and not some other form of animal that just happens to look similar to, right? I, in faith, received that. Um, I don't operate with this, this approach that everything is 100% certified. No one does. Um, no one does that with the food they receive. They're not testing to see if it's beef or chicken or pork or whatever. 
we when we get our our prescription drugs from the pharmacist no one's actually taking the pills breaking them apart evaluating whether it's the right uh, percentage of the combination of chemicals that are actually going to treat what the, the 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 condition that they're trying to treat with that medication no one does that they just accept <coughs> it because it's been been prescribed it's been issued there's measures of uh, trust implied with uh, with areas of certification and accreditation and whatnot and so what I what I'm wanting to bring to to people's attention right now is that there's this lie that the science community I think is tried to convince us that you can only believe something if it's 100% verified um, scientifically, but no one actually lives that way. No one does. Um, and so if, if that's true, which I think I've just made the case is true, then you have to deal with what, what were manners of actually communicating trustworthiness. And so, um, that you can take and receive and accept without calling into question, right? So like I took that plate today because it comes from a restaurant that I have relationship with these people that I trust um, and I don't, I don't ever doubt it and it's just good, right? Um, but when you come to like the New Testament and it's dealing with the subject of resurrection, you know, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, um, or is that where you're going right now? Oh, no, no, no. I'm going somewhere else. Keep going. Oh. Um, you know, Paul writes to the Corinthians that Christ died in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was uh, buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and after his resurrection, he appeared to uh, to Cephas and to the Twelve, and then to, to 500 other witnesses, and to one unbecoming being himself. Right. And so... What, what you find in Scripture is with the, the numerous forms of witnesses in the first century, it's, it's the, the, the witness account, the eyewitness account that would have been the expression of validation. Um, it, it's what we have in Scripture is an authoritative expression of this actually happened. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting to me that it's the person of Jesus talking about that scenario with the smut for smut thing of, of who gets called into question or brought into doubt because I think about, um, you know, one of the angles that people take is, you know, was Jesus ever really alive? Was he really ever a person or is he just some fictional character like uh, like like Peter Rabbit or something like that. Um, and what's interesting is no one ever questions whether someone like Caesar Augustus lived. Right. No one ever questions if um, Aristotle or Socrates or any of those other people lived. Um, it's only the person of Jesus Christ who is brought into doubt yet the the other thing is aside from like hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw the man alive saw the man die saw the man buried saw the man come out once he's resurrected from the tomb setting that aside you've got all of these sources that attest to the fact that he lived right the 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 the, there cannot be in one's mind, based upon the evidence presented, a question about whether Jesus Christ existed, lived within time. Based upon the evidence, 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most verifiable events in human history. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's very simple for people to just take away the concept of uh, you're a Christian, therefore you're defending something, when there are, just for the New Testament alone, over 1,500 manuscripts and copies and segments that verify just the New Testament alone. If you go back to the Old Testament, you're looking over 4,500 manuscripts, uh, Isaiah, the most complete one that we have an entire scroll for, uh, where it verifies that the Bible is reliable to its teaching from Genesis to Revelation. 90, over 99% verifiable that it's exactly what the author intended in the just in the writing. Not only that, you're, you're hitting on something very important. Who are we sending? Finally, in? like the one time, right? I'm finally hitting on something really important. Stop. Okay. Not like that. Like we've been waiting, man. But here's 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 something that it's Iron Dan. It, anyway, it, it is Iron Dan. Um, what you get to is what do we hold in authority? Yeah. And 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 that I say that because yeah, you're it. saying how do we why do we go living fa by faith but still say that we are a scientific a modern society where everything is by the, uh, what is it, the, the scientific, the, the scientific method. method. You know, you have to observe it, test it, and if, if the test comes up with a conclusive result, time and time again, it's the same, then it's verifiable, therefore it must be, that's, that's the case. And if it happens often enough, then it becomes a law. So here we have, for example, in Matthew, where you see chapter 21, People come to question Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? Now, these are the teachers of the law, but I believe that the same can apply from people who have doubt of faith uh, or have uh, an antagonistic view to faith, especially Christianity, where they say, well, how do I really know that this is, this is true? Uh, almost like Pontius Pilate, as we read it Friday, um, what is truth? Mm -hmm. um, if we hold that we are ourselves are the highest authority, we can say, like, for example, we live by faith knowing that this table is going to hold its, the way that it's supposed to, not because we are here with contraptions that would help a physicist to know whether the tensile strength, the gravitational pull, or anything else factors into how much weight we can put on the table, but because underneath the table, I'm fairly certain, there's going to be a label that says, made by such and such company, guaranteed for up to this weight. Um, another test to another testament to what you're saying of living by faith and the point I'm making in what we're holding to authority is the chairs. To your point, we are not breaking out any type of, again, physic, physics uh, or mechanic, mechanical physics uh, type of equipment to verify how strong the, the steel alloy is or to even see you know anything with design as to whether the design is optimal for holding all our weights without going into the actual number but it does go to what we think has authority to verify and make that statement i wonder if the reason why people have the issue with the resurrection is because of a rebellious state mm. to the authority that's making that claim mm. which by the way Paul writes, again, to, to go back to the letter of, to the Romans, there's no one righteous, not even one. It also tells us that all of us, having given into our sinful desires by virtue of, of the, of the in, improper humanity that we express because of our brokenness. Yeah, because we exchange the truth of God for, for a lie. lie. And so 
I think that's that's the problem that many people are not willing to come to. But for the Christian or for the person that God is revealing the truth to, it's made evident. I've been placing myself as the authority and therefore I give no credence to what to anything God says because I'm the one making I'm the one making the shot, calling the shots. It's not God. Or to put it in the perspective of an agnostic atheist or an atheist, it's a double that's a double negation anyway. Um, to even say um, God is inconsequential because I, I I deny his authority simply because I cannot see him i cannot touch him i cannot smell him sense him in any way shape or form that this limited physical body can so there's a misplacement of the authority upon that one life or even you could make the, the argument the misplacement of authority upon entire culture did you give an example during your sermon um something along the lines of even if um even if they, like, even if you were to believe, like, you have the opportunity to believe, but would you know the truth? Was that kind of you? Did you give that example? I don't think I did. No? Okay. But what good fit? Finish your thought. What are you thinking? It was kind of like, even if um, you had the, you knew this was completely 100% to be true, but you knew it. Would you still do it just because of how your lifestyle would change? Ooh, yeah. So, would you would you actually exchange your life for the truth? Would you be willing to give up your sense of heaven now? Yeah. That's a that's a that's an interesting question. That I mean, for the listener, that that these are three Christians talking right now, and so I mean, we I, I know how we would answer that because we already have. Um, in some way. And so um, that, that's ultimately a question that's answered by someone who's on the other side of that spectrum. But, you know, if, if, if you knew that what we're talking about, that, that God did add to himself humanity, first of all, that there is a God, that he's created and ordered things as he has seen fit, that, um, that in, in humanity, you, a, a, a creature that's made by God has rebelled against that order, deciding themselves to be superior to him or knowing better than him. And in, in the course of history, in order to uh, reconcile that rebellious creature to him, God has taken upon himself the initiative and the, the judgment and the punishment for that rebellion so that there, that bridge can be made or restored. Um, and that doing that, the most miraculous thing occurred I mean, many aspects of miraculous occur, right? The, the miraculous of God becoming or adding to himself man, uh, humanity. Um, that, that human body dying, mm. that human body being resurrected, coming back to life, all, all these elements of the miraculous. If they were true, would you believe them? That's an interesting question to add some, ask somebody who's not in the room. Um, I, I would love to, to dialogue with somebody and just ask that question, you know. And so this would be a proper place to encourage the audience. If you're listening to this via audio or if you're watching this uh, with video um, included into the delivery, please leave us a comment and, and let us know if you are not 
necessarily where we are standing on the on the promise of eternal life uh, confessing that Christ is Lord and you hear this and you have an answer to that question please share it with us because we would love to engage with that respectfully lovingly uh, but understand that we will come at it from a very biblical perspective yeah What else you got? I want to know what's on the paper. You want to know what's on the paper? I think so. Oh, wait, never mind. I see it. I'm kidding. What do you got? Oh. <laughs> All she has is the quote, I am Iron Dan, over and over again. <laughs> What'd you say? Nothing. Listen, <laughs> um, I want to know personally, um, why did you think of the word as kidnappers to use? For false teachers what are the dimensions of that and why did you choose that word particularly um, because when paul is writing in verse 8 the the warning of do not uh, do not be held captive um what that what that literally means is don't get don't be kidnapped that's what that means right. and so yeah, that's that's why i kind of brought it up that way because um not that the language of the bible is antiquated but it it um the the visual I think comes across comes across more clearly um, when when we grasp it in that way to say Paul is warning that there are people who are trying to come in to the family of God and kidnap you or steal you from them um, and they're doing so by philosophy and empty deceit so that's literally what that what that that warning means do not be kidnapped do not be held captive. Um, you know, so you think about kidnapping, you, people are, 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 um, are captured, they're bound, uh, and that's, that's the image that Paul's using there with the do not be held captive, that's why. So, that's, go ahead. No, 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 and I find it interesting that, that the, the tools and the practices of the accuser, Satan himself, haven't changed over two millennia. Because that that is still the the one thing we are fighting. It's the it's the uh, the logismos. It's it's the ideologies, the ideas. It's the the concepts of this world versus the truth of God. Nothing has changed. It's the same thing. The only thing that changes is that now we we that the prime, the premier fighting front. It's no longer in the open square, but now it's universities, college campuses high schools, middle schools, and even elementary schools. I mean, that's the prime, the prime, if you would say, the gladiatorial arenas for the Christian, where you have to, you, in a loving way, in a, in, a, in a gracious way, stand firm by truth and trust that as parents, at least as students, that we can train our children to say, this is God's truth. It doesn't contradict, but it, it brings everything to its proper light. That everything that we study, everything that we do, everything that we understand, it brings it into proper light. It, it's it's mesmerizing just in the conversation to think nothing has changed. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's, you know, Paul has never actually been to this Colossian church. He's just exchanged some correspondence with them. He's heard about them. And what what he's come to know is that there are what in the Bible we know as Judaizers who are tra were trying to tell these new Christians like, hey, all this stuff that you believed and received, it ain't really the truth. I got the corner market on truth, and it's that we're still waiting for a Messiah. That guy Jesus, he's not it. 
Um, and so you need to go be circumcised of the flesh um, and you need to submit yourself to the Torah. And so what they're trying to do is actually pick people out of the family of God and bring them under uh, the covenant that, that Christ has actually completed. Um, and so um, Paul does it with a word that um, is actually very close to synagogue. Um, and there's a whole bunch of academic debate about whether um, he's calling out um, Judaizers completely. I land in the school of, I think he is, um, just particularly some of the other warnings that go on to play on words about circumcision. He's, he's clearly um, he's clearly taking a pastoral uh, approach with the, the immediate warning, which is why then um, I took the approach I did yesterday with, hey, these are the things I see in divine. Like the, 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 we're not dealing with Judaizers in divine texts. Uh, we are dealing with with people who will um, who will mention the name of Jesus, um, but they're not talking about the Jesus of Scripture. They're not talking about the Jesus of history, who is the Son of God, who mm -hmm. went to a cross and uh, was buried in a tomb and was raised on the third day. They ain't talking to talking about him like this. Um, and so while these Colossians had a, uh, a challenge um, almost two millennia ago, um, we face a similar one to Carlos's point. Um, and so we, we run the risk of being kidnapped if we doubt something as central to our faith as resurrection. Because if we do, um, then we're right where they want us, you know, questioning about whether Jesus has always been. The Mormon doesn't believe that. They believe that Jesus... Uh, was not God until he was resurrected, and that's when he became a divine being, um, and and he became the adopted son of God, and God the Father isn't even the first God. He's right. one of, like, a chain of gods that have, like, it's just a weird thing. And, and that, he and Satan are siblings. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're just siblings that had a falling out. Um, and, and so, but, but by faith, you become a God, too. It's just interesting stuff. Um, and so, you too can have your own world to yeah. be a god over. Um, yeah. So, it, but but think about it, right? Like with with the Christian worldview, with um, God becoming flesh and dwelling among humanity, dying, resurrecting, ascending. Um, all of this that's not Christian. If we buy into any bit of it, we are being kidnapped from the family of God at that point. So right. it's, 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 it's uh, that, that's where that comes from. Sorry, I'm, I'm like beating that drum, but yeah, that's where that came from. Felt very appropriate for yesterday. Cool. So I wonder then, where do we go from now, from here? So after this, um, so, you know, we've kind of talked about today the um, the verifiable element of the resurrection of Jesus Christ um, or at least I've spoken about it briefly there's so much more that we can speak to about um, that, that frankly there are books that are in the on the order of like 800 to a thousand pages writing about this in, in great depth I mean Mike Mike Lycona's dissertation on the resurrection yeah that, that, that book is, I kid you not, about two and a half to three inches thick. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we, we, could, we could spend more time just on this subject, but the, the point is, you know, and you, 
I expected to hear this when I asked that question that you know because of the scientific that because of the influence of science upon culture we we believe that we only believe in things in 100% that are 100% testable and verifiable through experimentation and that's just not true we don't none of us live that way so you have to you, you and listener please know you don't live that way no you cannot convince me that you're testing everything that you consume or anything like that you just don't um, so that's not life. That's not life. And so you, you actually are living life as an expression of faith. Yes, even you atheists are living a life of faith. <laughs> Your faith is just misplaced. Um, um, and so anyway, the, there's, we, we've kind of talked about that um, and how based upon the, me the means in the first century um, that would have been offered to to offer um, certainty about something that would have been through um, witness like courtroom things right sure. and so um, even the, I mean the Bible says if you have two people to corroborate something it's truth and on the subject of the resurrection the, <laughs> the scripture says that there's over 500 yeah. so that I mean like it's making the point there ain't no doubt about this even non-Christian writers write about Jesus anyway. Oh, yeah. So, it, so if, if just for the sake of a, a brief podcast, we're, we're saying that we've addressed the, um, the, the question of, is, is Jesus a, a person who lived within time? And is Jesus uh, someone who resurrected from the dead? Um, and that in and of itself is verifiable. <clears throat> then first of all, what, what, had never been now is meaning one person has returned from the dead um, and that changes everything by the way if you're listening to that just think through that if someone's come back from the dead that changes everything and you, you might need to change your way you're thinking about it right. but secondly from there where I'd love to maybe next time we get together and, and just continuing this conversation about resurrection is to to understand maybe what does it mean for for God to be resurrected in the person of Jesus mm, Christ? That's a good question. Um, what does it mean for God to be resurrected in the person of Jesus Christ? And then that probably is a talk in and of itself. Um, and then I think beyond that, then uh, maybe another conversation would that would be prudent for us to wrap our heads around and talk through is. What does it mean for us to be called into his resurrection? Or saying it another way, what does it mean to be a people of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Right. Like, what does that mean for us practically? Um, so I, I think there's probably at least two more talks about this. Uh, quite frankly, I think we could spend more yeah. than two. Yeah, well, of course. But I mean, yeah, the, the listener can only do so much, endure so much on one subject. Poor Sydney, I know. Well, yeah, well, I don't think she's the only one who listens to this. Yeah. I will say this because I know there's going to be someone who says, ah, I caught them on an, on an error, and it's not an error. What Pastor Dan is saying that it means something when someone comes back from the dead. The Bible records other people resurrected, but only one who lives eternally. Yeah. And so it is that, it is that connection between the resurrection and eternal life that makes the whole, it's, it's the game changer. Yeah. It's like the Hail Mary for your favorite sports team right at, towards the end of the game. They're coming from, from under and suddenly they won. Yep. Thank you for listening to Disciple Life, the Bible in everyday life with pastors Carlos Garduño and Dan Newbert. We encourage you to send any questions for the podcast to info at fbcdivine.com 
www.thepeopleshow.org or by commenting on the audio platform of your choice. We look forward to engaging with your questions during future episodes.